Good morning, everyone. We are talking about every minute has a mission, and we want a summer on purpose. And yes, you English teachers out there, I understand summer is a noun. It is not a verb, but we are changing that, okay? And as long as we all know that, that we're breaking the rules, okay, it should be okay. So we want a summer on purpose. And this minute to win it game really sums up a lot of what we're talking about, because what they do is they set out to accomplish a particular goal in a minute. It's all about people choosing to do something and focusing all their efforts on it. What, what about some real-world life-changing things we might do in under a minute? Okay, so my husband, he really messed with me a few months ago. He brought me some new research. Anybody surprised by that? Yeah, he brought me some new research. It's all about making the bed. So now before I tell you the results of that research, I want to know how many of you, come on, we're vulnerable here. We show our weaker selves. How many of you did not make your bed this morning? All right. All right. This service takes the cake. Woo. (laughs) Or the cookie. So here's the deal. Did you know that the research of 68,000 people showed that people who make their bed every morning are more productive and decrease their stress? Yeah, oh, (laughs) I hear a few, you know, proud people clapping on that one. But in this survey, 59% of the 68,000 people do not make their bed. Can we hear it for that? Right there, you got a lot, you got all the company because 27% of them do make their bed and 12% of them pay somebody to make their bed. How many are ready for that one? (laughs) Okay, they even have a saying for this. And this, my husband shared this with me and of course messed with me because now when I walk out the door in the morning, if I'm walking out of our bedroom to leave and he's already gone for the day and I see the bed isn't made, it just like... I have to do it. I have to get it made. I know that's what he would want, too. He's so tidy, and it's awesome. (laughs) So here's the research, and here's the saying. The state of your bed is the state of your head. Okay? And here's what they found. All people don't like that one. 71% of bed makers say they are happy. And 62% of the non-bed makers say they are unhappy. Ooh, yeah. So see, it really does make a difference. Now, Charles Durig, who wrote a book, The Power of Habit, great book, but he affirmed and reaffirmed this research in his book and, and wrote a little bit about it. But bed making aside, okay, we want to talk about a habit that is much more transformational than making a bed today. And we want to talk about how every minute becomes a mission with this one habit. We can have a summer on purpose with an eternal purpose because that's the big idea today. Your summer will be on purpose with an eternal purpose when you put Jesus in charge of it. So when the one driving force behind all the decisions, all the scheduling, all the plans that you make this summer is your relationship with Jesus and what he is up to, watch out, watch out. And that's what we want to see happen. And in a moment, we're going to look at John 5, verses 16 through 20. 
Now, Jesus is in Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals, and he is healing people, and he is teaching. And the thing is, he has the nerve to heal a guy who has been crippled for quite some time, for a long time, maybe 38 years. That's a long time. The thing is, you ask, well, what's the problem with that? Wouldn't anybody want to be healed? Well, he did, but the religious leaders didn't like it because Jesus had healed him on the Sabbath of all things. So let's listen in on Jesus' conversation with these Jewish leaders where he reveals the one habit that could transform our summer. Verse 16, it says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And in his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So what was the habit that helped Jesus live on purpose and fulfill his particular life's purpose? In one word, I would call it obedience. You see, Jesus would not say a minute to win it. He would say minute after minute to win it. So I want to take just a look with you at the habit loop, that cue, routine, reward habit loop that all of us fulfill with all of our habits, and look at it, what was that like for Jesus? So first of all, what was Jesus' cue? Well, he said that when he sees his father doing something or the father shows him what he's up to, what does he do? What's his routine? What's his response? Secondly, He does what the Father is doing or showing him to do. That's his routine. And secondly, when he has that picture of what he's to do from the Father and he responds with obedience, what happens next? What's his reward? And Jesus himself told us what his reward was on a lot of different occasions. That obeying his Father was a lot like eating an ice cream cone from salt and straw. That's my paraphrase, just saying. Actually, he did say something kind of like that. Because what he told us is that he said whenever he did what his father wanted him to do, it was like a good meal. A good meal. And if you love ice cream, an ice cream cone is a meal, right? So Jesus' disciples have just returned from a nearby village where they picked up some food for them in the middle of what was a long, tiring, hot, dusty journey. And they come back, and Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman at a well. And they know know it's past time to eat, and they're urging him to have something to eat. And he explains it this way in John 4, 34. He says, my nourishment, my meat, my food, depending on the translation you use, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Now, he went on to say it's not only that that's his reward, but he went on to say that obeying gives these life-giving results, and that is its own reward as well. John 12, 50 says this, And I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. 
And again, in John 15, 10, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. So let's just summarize. These, these are just three of many places where Jesus talks about the fact that he only does what he sees his father's doing. He said that this habit that he had of obedience nourished him. It gave him the sustenance of a good meal on a day when, when we're hungry. He also said that it was the reward of the life-giving nature of these acts of obedience was made it all worthwhile, and specifically the eternal benefit that came to both to others and to him. Here's the deal. This one habit could transform my summer and your summer. Now, I know after a six-week series called The Sex Talks that a word like obedience is decidedly or distinctly unsexy. You see, it's a word, really, that many of us like to avoid, and yet it is truly at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is to say yes to him, to obey him. So how many of you have kids that cheer when you ask them to go make the bed? Right, that's that's not going to happen, right? Not usually. Or when you start the famous countdown, three, two, one, you know that countdown, And they just joyously change their mind and run off and do it, right? Not so much. Because obedience is all about relationship, not rules. It's all about a relationship. And because of that, the the relationship that best describes our obedience is this one that we call lordship. What does lordship look like? And I just want to talk about three ingredients of it. And you're going to see how each one of these is all about this relationship so that we're really talking about relationship this morning because that's where obedience flows from. These are three ingredients for success in making Jesus the Lord of your summer. And they're all right here in the passage we already read. First of all, dependence. Be dependent on God. I need you, God. Here's how Jesus said it. The son can do nothing by himself. When was the last time you said that about yourself? Anne can do nothing by herself. Mm, That that doesn't happen very often, let me assure you, on myself. This was a phrase, though, that Jesus used on multiple occasions to describe his approach to making decisions, putting something on his schedule, making a plan uh, for his life or about what he was going to do. In fact, in John 5.30, he says this, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me, therefore my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. And in John 8, 28, Jesus continues. He said, so Jesus said, when you've lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father has taught me to say. That's dependence. To be dependent is to rely upon something. To let someone or something control or decide for you. Jesus was dependent on his father for everything he did. He doesn't act independently either of the father's will or the father's purposes for his life. Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you have always admired Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane that's recorded for us when just moments before his arrest and hours before his death, he says, Father, if it's possible for this cup to to be passed from me, yet not my will, but thy will be done, or your will be done. 
Have you ever admired that? As like an incredibly difficult prayer, an incredibly difficult obedience. But here's the deal. Jesus didn't do that in a vacuum. That wasn't a great one-time stand-up moment for Jesus. That came on the heels of almost 33 years of him saying yes to his father over and over again. So Jesus was ready to say yes to the most difficult thing he was ever asked to do because he had been saying yes his whole life. That's the habit. Now, this isn't easy for us. Our natural bent is not dependence. In fact, I mean, there's this wrestling that goes on. We know it well with teenagers. Actually, the whole way of the whole chore of a parent of releasing a child into an independent lifestyle. What do we start life as? Dependent. And then we become independent. And many times at the very end of our life, what do we end up again? Dependent. Do we like that? Do we say, that's the way I want to end? That's what I want my last chapter to be on this earth? No, we don't, but we often don't get that choice. And most of us say, that's not for me. Well, kids are this way all the time, and we see it all the time. This happens to be one of my kids' favorite books when they were growing up, hence, no cover left. This is the original. Um, But it's Little Mercy Mayor and, and his title, All By Myself. Okay, and the whole book is all the things he can do. And what they loved is at the end, he gets to the one thing that he can't. And in the end, every single one of us has to come to that place. If we want to have a relationship of obedience, we have to come to the end of ourselves. And he says, I can button my overalls and I can brush my fur and I can tie my shoes and I can color a picture and I can pound with my hammer and sell a boat and I can look after my little sister and I can brush my teeth and put myself to bed. But I can't go to sleep without a story for which he needs somebody else to do that. Comes to the end of himself. And my kids loved it so much because they identified with the all by myself part, right? Yeah. I loved it for the, for the last sentence, the dependence part. The thing is, we don't naturally grow more dependent on God. We really don't. It's an effort. It's a choice that we have to make across our lifetime. And even the Apostle Paul, if you read what he wrote in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, he's encountering a life-threatening situation. He said, we despaired even of life. We'd sunk, um, we sunk to the depths. We were pressed beyond measure, he says. And we don't really know what it was that was troubling them, whether it was an illness or a riot or something. He'd had so many terrible things happen across his life. But then he utters these words, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who can raise the dead. And I'm going, if Paul needed the lesson after all the hardships he'd been through, then I do too. I have to make this choice, this effort toward dependency. So this last week, I had a funny experience here on Sunday. I was down in the center, and we were getting ready for the 8 o'clock service, and we were lacking a stand for one of our speakers that it could sit up on. Some, somebody had torn it apart during the week and, and done something with it. So they sent me down here to Marley to, see, to, to get a couple stands, and she handed me a couple. I hauled them down there. As soon as I got down there, they had... Yair, who was on media that day, had just rummaged. He's so resourceful. He went in the youth closet and found something. Isn't that a miracle all by itself? Right? He goes in there, and he found a stand, and he put the speaker on it. So they didn't need these two, spe- these two speaker stands that I'd carried. And Yair says, Ann, um, could I help you take those back? I quickly said, no, I'll do it myself. 
And he said, you are so self-sufficient. And in that moment, my husband's saying, hmm. (laughs) And in that moment, I knew that it was about more than just that moment. You see, that's something God's working with me on. I knew that that's really true because I'm a, like, get her done, activator type. Um, you know, why, why not do it? Talk is, doesn't mean anything if you can't follow it up with some good action. So, you know, that was my bent. But I had to ask myself, so how can I live in such a way that I'm not so self-sufficient? And did you know that it really is the same way that I grow to be more dependent on others as in people? It's the same way I grow more dependent on God. I ask for and receive their help. In this case, I ask for and receive his help. That's the very same way that I grow more dependent with people. I let them do things for me. I'm 61 now. People are actually starting to offer to do things for me, right? And at first, you can kind of go, oh, I can do it myself. But I'm like, hey, no, relax in this. Let them lift that big heavy box into my car. That's cool, you know, but that's part of this self-sufficiency. So with God, I want to live dependent on him. We want to live dependent on him. And I just say, take down the fences, open the doors to your private closets, and let him lead you. Be dependent. And secondly is to be attentive to God. So I'm dependent on God, and I want to be attentive to God. Are you picking up? That this is all about a relationship, not a list of rules. Though we're talking about the habit of obedience, we're talking about the context that it happens in is completely one of relationship. So now I want to be attentive to God. What's the opposite of attentive? Distracted. How good are we at distraction? Seeing something. Listen to what Jesus said. He said he can only do what he sees the Father doing. What he sees the Father doing. Well, to see something, I don't know about your eyes, but my eyes can only see so far without some extra aids like a telescope or binoculars or something like that. But I have to have proximity and I have to have focus in order to see something. And both of these apply here. You know, sometimes we're more in tune with social media than we ever are with God. We're checking our Facebook, our Twitter, our texts, our email, our Instagram more than we're checking in with God. And I just ask myself this question, what if this summer, what if this summer we checked in with God as often as we do our Facebook, our email, our texts, our Instagram, and our social media? What if we were present with him more than any screen that we own? And I'd just say, hey, God, it's me. What do you want to say? What would you like to talk to me about? What would you like to show me? How about those notifications We set our phones, and sometimes we don't, and so we still get them, but notifications of things that we think are important. You know, really important things like, next slide. Where is he? I think he's disappeared. Our notifications, our notifications alert us. Sometimes hourly, sometimes as an email or a text or something like that comes in. And here's the deal. Let's see, are we still moving ahead on slides? There we go, yeah. There's the notifications. Important things like um, you're invited to join Santa. Yeah, we all need that one. And hey, are we still on for lunch? These, these little reminders. But what if we set our devices and our notifications to, hey, have you checked in with God yet today? 
for obedience to be a habit, I have to cultivate attentiveness. Now, Luke summarizes for us really well how Jesus did this, how he focused in and gave his attention to God, his Father, how he even knew what God was up to. It says this in Luke 5, 16, for Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And Jesus was a pretty busy guy, but he took effort to do this. So I decided that this week I was going to do several listening sessions with God. And what I determined is I was going to sit down and I was just going to be silent before God. I wasn't going to, you know, ask anything or anything like that except to say, you know, speak, Lord. You know, I'm listening. And I set my clock on my phone for one hour to do this, just to be quiet before God. Now, I want you to take a stab at it. Don't be afraid. Remember, we're real here. How many minutes do you think it was before I got distracted? Oh, oh, wow. I love it. You guys are even hitting the bar lower. Okay, I made it for six whole minutes. I made it for six minutes. That's right. Before I got distracted. And what distracted me? A notification, a little ping that said I had a text from somebody. Now, this person really mattered. It's a team member who's going through a real tough family thing, but still, it was not what I was doing in that moment. I, at this rate, I thought to myself, this is going to be one long hour if every six minutes I'm doing this. So it really made me look, though. So I had to turn the sound off on my phone, and I continued my listening. So my question for you is, what do you need to do to be more attentive to God? Here's what I've found is interesting about giving somebody your attention. You have to stop, first of all, for the person and, and for God. But secondly, you have to focus so that you can hear them, right? Because if I'm distracted, I won't. Now, I've found that some people are better at stopping and some people are better at focusing. And we're just all working on bringing those two together in the same package. I know for myself, I can stop, but I'm easily distracted. So that's what I'm working on to be more attentive to God. So we want to be dependent, we want to be attentive to God, and we want to be confident in God's love for us. And I contrast this with being insecure about his love for us. And this is so important. Here's what, the, here's what Jesus said in verse 20 that we read. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. And I'd like you to just read that sentence with me. Right now, that confident declaration that Jesus wrote, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Now, here's the deal. I want you to insert your name in there. Here's my name inserted there. For the Father loves Anne and shows her all he does. Can you imagine the confidence that Jesus has in his Father that we can have as well. Would you do that with me aloud? Now, this time, you put your name in it and your pronoun. Here we go. For the Father loves Anne and shows her all he does. Yeah, I want you to be able to put your name in there. And if you shirked back at all, I just want to encourage you. Maybe you need to practice that a little. Sit in that for a moment because that is so true. The Father loves you. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God loves you and wants to show you what he's up to in your life so you can participate with him? Because that's what he'll do. And when he does show you what he's up to, will you trust him? Will you trust his love for you? So I I had a friend, and he was feeling kind of bad because he had a lapse in obeying God on something that 
he um, felt strongly about and had been called to. And he just needed reassurance of God's love for him. And he shared these words with me. He said he went to spend some time with God just alone. He said, the father's lap is quiet. There I hear the heartbeat of being loved. There I know I'm watched out for. There his whisper is louder than my self-condemnation. Isn't that how we feel when we didn't get it right? When we didn't do exactly what we saw the Father doing or say what he was saying? But this is the deal. It's never about the rules. It's always about the relationship. And never can we see it more clearly than when Jesus is talking here about He is confident in the Father's love for him. And it's in the middle of that. He understands that when I'm at my worst, I can crawl up into his lap and it's quiet and it's a place where I can hear his love for me and where I can hear him say that I'm accepted, that I'm forgiven, that I'm included, that I'm being watched out for, even though I didn't get it right. Because here's the deal. There's only one who got it right all the time. And that's Jesus who we're reading about. He's the only one who can say, I always did what I saw my father doing. So what about us what, when we don't make it? Here's what I find is that a lot of people say, well, I'm never going to get it anyway, so why do it? Why follow him? Why is obedience so important? I can just be, I, I can get forgiven if I want, right? And I'm never going to measure up. But they're forgetting that it's a relationship and it's all about that relationship. We can come to God. He loves us. And he never stops loving us. And we can be confident in his love for us today. And today, whatever he's showing you, whatever he's talking to you about, and he talks about a lot more than we do, you can trust that today. You can trust what you're hearing from him. So not only do we want to be dependent on God and attentive to God and confident in God's voice. All three of those things are this relationship that we have that we call him Lord. These all describe that Jesus is Lord of our life and Lord of our summer. And so with that in mind, I want to just suggest a few tips for living summer on purpose. So summer on purpose tip number one. This is spend some time with God and listen for what he's up to in and through you. And, you know, summer allows us to do some creative things because there isn't quite as much structure, particularly if you have kids. And the weather also affords us some new opportunities. So I want to invite you, get your family together and talk about what God is saying to you. Let each person who's old enough write, draw, video, record, you name it, what they are hearing from God. Kids have amazing insights too. And then, together, write your own. What happened to us this summer essay, that classic back-to-school writing. I'm going to share mine with you at the close of our talk today. So tip number two for Summer on Purpose, give God the first and the last word on your calendar. Submit your calendar, your schedule to him, all of it. I'm talking about just your personal calendar Proverbs 16.9 says this, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. 
Now, that is not a corrective proverb. It's just giving the wisdom. We use our minds. We come up with a schedule. We say, this is what's important to me. And then we lay that calendar out before the Lord, and we say, okay, Lord, you're directing my steps. What do you think of this and this? And anything you want to change on this, it's up for grabs. He gets the first word and the last word. The first word happens when I listen for what he's up to. And the last word happens when I give him the calendar that I think I've constructed with him. And I let him rule the day on what's on that calendar. That brings us to summer tip number three. Make time for God as if your life depended on it because it really does. You can't see what he's up to if you're never close to him, if you're not tuned in and up close. Regular time with God. Don't let your summer schedule include everything but that. In fact, I'm surprised about how many people during the course of a year, God's not on their calendar. You're just supposed to remember that. You're supposed to remember that relationship. So if you look at Jared and I's calendar, what pops up every day, it's there in the morning starting at 5. It's time with God. Now, it wouldn't be very good if that was it. You know, check in, check out. Hey, God, got a good start. See you later. Talk to you tomorrow morning. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about a relationship. It's just that I put down a time that I'm going to make sure I have checked in with him. And then that is a part of my time, is spending my time with him. So I want to encourage you. Summer is a time when you can experiment with this. You can do it in different ways. You can experiment with your family. You can turn that road trip, that camping trip, that time around the campfire making s'mores into a campfire sharing what each of you has heard from God. Even if there's ones in your family that aren't ready to participate in that, your doing it together and making it comfortable for everyone can still help them grow forward in knowing God loves them, God cares about them. They're included. They're accepted. They're a part. And they're accepted right where they're at. They might not be ready to say anything. So we can share what we're hearing from God and what we appreciate about God. You know, there's some wonderful prayers from um, ancient practices. And one of those is called the examine. And it's attributed to St. Ignatius. And I've adapted it uh, for my use this summer. And this is the two questions. It's a prayer at the end of the day where you get take a moment to reflect. And you can do it laying in bed. You could do it laying in a sleeping bag. You could do it out in a boat. You could do it wherever you're at. But here's the two questions. Where did God work in my life today? And what did God say to me today? Just taking that time to reflect with God each day could change your summer and my summer. So summer on purpose tip number four. Trust God's plans more than your own and be willing to take a stand for his plan. Be so confident in, your, in his love for you, his unselfish, do whatever you need, no matter what it costs him kind of love. You can have confidence in Jesus' love for you and delete any schedule, any activity that threatens or compromises your relationship with him. I'm really big on this. Jared and I are getting ready to uh, spend a month away from you, the whole month of June. And by the way, I'm really going to miss you. You know what the treasure of the church is? It's all of you. That's the church. There's nothing special about this building, but it's incredibly special because you're here and we'll really miss you. But we are not leaving. We're just gone, okay? 
have to add that. So we want to spend time. We want for you this summer to have an incredible summer. And we want for you to have a God-led summer. And to do that, you really have to be ruthless. Because the air we breathe and the water we swim in in our culture is not making. They're not against you. They're not trying to sabotage you. They just don't share the same goal as you. So our culture is trying to conform us to its standards and to what's important to them. And we have to take a stand and not let that happen. So you might hear God invite you to do some of these things. Barbecue with your neighbors. Jesus spent a lot of time and socializing and eating with people who didn't know him yet or didn't even necessarily want to know him. He was known and criticized for that. And I'm just encouraging you this summer, be that person. Hang out with those people. Be with those people. Right? People like us. Invite your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your fellow students over for a cookout, a game night, something like that, or partner with another family to do it because sometimes that's a whole lot less scary. The thing is, he might also invite you to serve your community here, near, or far. July 22nd, we're getting ready to do with the Aranko businesses a, a movie in the park at Central Park. On, it's going to be on a Friday night, and it's, it's going to be the movie Elf because it's called Christmas in July. And there's going to be all kinds of crazy things that we do together. And you could go and volunteer, but you could also just bring a bunch of friends to want, watch the movie. Friends that don't know Jesus yet that might be interested. Friends that want to know that Christians aren't crazy, that they're loving and accepting and they have fun together. And that can be a fun thing to do. And there's a lot of things you could do to serve that night. You could sell ornaments because we're selling Christmas ornaments. You could sell concessions. And you could just hand out waters and have a lot of crowd fun. It's also not too late to get your family signed up for a mission trip this summer. We're taking a team down to Mexico in the first week of August. And guess what? It's a build trip. And this summer, if we have enough people, we could build two homes and change the lives of two families And guess what? You can bring your friends to do that too. They don't have to know Jesus or love him or want to serve him to come and serve people and love people. So that's another opportunity that you could do. And then last but not least, take someone with you. Whatever you do this summer, try not to do it alone. That's spoken like a true extrovert, isn't it? (laughs) Okay, but here's the deal. It still is really good. Take your family, your small group, or invite a group of friends and make sure to take the kids because they're ready to change the world too. That's what I want to encourage you with. But this is the deal. Remember I said you might be asked to stand against the tide of change and the tide of the culture with what you're doing. So this thing of presenting our calendars to God and letting God have the first and the last word and really letting him be Lord of our, our calendar. You know, our culture isn't supporting all of the things that we're, we're doing sometimes. And so Kim, our kids pastor, gets a couple emails like this every week. It says, I was just going to email you. And then when I saw this email, it says, we're entering into baseball tournament season. We have tournaments for the next seven weekends. We don't know our schedules until a few days before each tournament starts. And since I'm an assistant coach on my son's team, um, I did, and didn't anticipate us playing so many tournaments because I just found out yesterday, I'm going to have to take the next seven weeks off. I'm so disappointed. Here's the deal, parents. You might have to take a stand. You might have to decide 
how you're going to tackle this. How are we going to change this cultural phenomena that, that schedules kids out of being in a faith community? And I asked myself this question when I was raising my own kids. My mom had this wonderful little question. She says, what will this behavior or activity look like in my kid's life in 10 years? What will this look like in their life? How will this have influenced their life 10 years from now? Or stated another way, where will your summer practices and decisions lead you and your kids 10 years from now? The number one priority for Jared and I is that we love God and love people and that our kids and now our grandkids do as well. All people. The thing is, nothing else is as important as that to us. Why is that? Because Jesus is Lord, folks. Jesus is Lord. He is our Savior, but he's also our Lord. That's why I pay attention to him. That's why I depend on him. And that's why I'm confident in his love. And therefore, I can obey him rather than men. I could take a stand. So let's craft a summer that's led by him. Now, if I ask you to write an end of the summer essay, maybe this is what you'd do. (laughs) Some of us might opt for that approach. I just want to share my end of the summer essay after several listening sessions with God uh, this past week, and I'm certainly not done listening. It's just this is where I'm at right now. This summer was an incredible adventure with people I love. I often set high standards for myself and drive toward the goal, but this summer I heard the Lord say, lighten up and take a load off, and I did. I am lighter inside and out. I'm more convinced than ever of his love and approval that I am his loved, thoughtful, faithful, adored, hand-picked, wonderfully made, accepted, forgiven, empowered, gifted, invited, uh, invited, creative, inspired, beloved, fun, spunky, relentless, strong, intense, focused, energized, friend of God. I love me more, not less. But here's the deal, folks. Not the ideal me. I love the real me, warts and all, more than ever. Jared is more convinced than ever of my love, admiration, and respect after this summer. You see, I was able to bring sunshine to the soul of my man, even more than his happy lamp. (laughs) With new shared adventures and evening activities that connect us, with nights, many evenings free of devices, And our communication is more vulnerable and encouraging all at the same time. And my weekly I love you highlights are the exclamation point on that relationship that's growing closer than ever. That's you, babe. My family, near and far, feel loved and cared for. Quality time with each family and with my mom has us all laughing, loving, and sharing our journey with greater vulnerability and joy. The grandkids are beginning to take early steps toward Jesus, and we had the privilege to share in that. Evergreen is thriving after a summer where each weekend we cherished each other, and we came with words of encouragement and comfort for one another. We thought about what we had to give more than what we were going to get. 
when we came together. We not only barbecued with our neighbors, we invited them to join us at a service, and many of them actually did. But through camps, through work, through vacations, through missions, trips, through it all, we still took time together to worship and to encounter Jesus. And oh, the fun we had. Jesus, thank you for having the last word on my summer plans. You really outdid yourself. You see, every minute has a mission. And today, you can make a decision. You can make a decision about a relationship that leads to a summer on purpose. That decision is just, God, I'm going to be more dependent on you. God, I'm going to be more attentive to you. And God, I'm going to be more confident and secure in your love. I want that. Do you? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we just want to say thank you for your love, your unending, unfailing, eternal, never give up kind of love for all of us. And Lord, right now, we just submit our summer plans to you. And we ask, Lord, that we would be your followers this summer. I pray for all of us that you'd show us how we could depend on you more. And Lord, that you would expose our self-sufficiency and help us to ask and receive help more frequently. And Lord, I just want to pray for some that have never made that decision to depend on you as their Savior and Lord and to let you lead them in their lives and to bring forgiveness to them. And I ask, Lord, that they'd make that decision as well. And then, Lord, I I pray you'd help us be more attentive to you this summer, that we'd turn our eyes toward you and look for you and listen to you. And finally, Lord, that we would be secure in your love. Would you convince each person in this room of that, even this week, Lord, so that this summer starts with a profound confidence in you? And just with every head bowed, I wouldn't want to not make an opportunity for anyone who hasn't yet said yes to Jesus. You haven't even started down that road of, okay, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm not sure what that's going to look like. It means this, that you're saying yes to what he did on the cross for you, that you're doing what these people who were baptized did, which is saying, I'm dying to self, and I'm going to accept you as Savior and Lord, and I'm going to receive your forgiveness. And if that's you today, if you just raise your hand and look at me, not because that's the way it's done, but because that's one way I can acknowledge with you and agree with you that you're making the best decision ever. Yeah, great decision. Yes. Thank you. He does forgive you. He loves you. Yeah. Great decision. That's awesome. That's awesome. I don't want to miss anyone. Just looking across briefly. Right over here. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. You're forgiven. God, you're so good. So we thank you, Lord, for your love today. Help each one of these who made a decision, Lord. Would you help them take their next steps this week? Would you help us reach out, love, connect with them, and help them on their journey? Lord, could we be each other's biggest cheerleaders instead of critics? That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.